Oh my days, it's a big one, you guys. UFC is touching down in Western Australia for a pretty massive pay-per-view featuring the number one and number two pound-for-pound men on the planet going head-to-head like a kangaroo versus an East Caucasian tur, which is a big goat thing from Dagestan. I probably should have picked a better animal. But anyway, big main event, a co-main event for gold as well, and lots of fun up-and-comers to talk about, so let's crack on. I'm Max from MMA On Point, and this is the Unfamiliars for UFC 284. First up, at featherweight, we have Zubaira Tukugov taking on Elvis Brenner. The only other Dagestani on the card, Makachev training partner Zubaira Tukugov finds himself down opening the early prelims after a year and a half layoff from the cake. We've had a look at Zubaira before, but just to remind you, he's one of them Dagestanis that can actually strike better than your dad at a bowling alley. Connor knows what I'm talking about. Obviously, Tukugov can rely on his wrestling. He lands about two and a half takedowns average per fight, but he's more than happy to work the kickboxing too. He's got some excellent TKOs on his early record. Not so much in the UFC, but we know he's got it in his life. He definitely needs to mix it up a bit though. 86% of his strikes are headhunting. And between that and his obvious love for a takedown, he can get a bit predictable. Elvis Brenner, meanwhile, gets a debut shot here and fighting out of shootbox Diego Lima with the likes of Chucky Olives, you know he's got some tricks up his sleeve. Marking his first four wins in pro MMA all by armbar, the Marwes native seemed to be going the way of Ronda Rousey before he got a KO in his next one. Seriously though, Brenner has some nice jiu-jitsu, very much based on using the cage clinch to drag his man to the mat and try some fancy stuff once he's down there. Okay, Occasionally he hunts the submission a bit too much and he can lose position that way, but he's definitely a dangerous finisher. Striking wise, he can bang as well. He's got some good traditional Muay Thai that he intersperses with some wild nonsense like blind flying knees, which can put him in trouble. Brenner definitely fights like a bigger, chunkier and slightly slower Charles Oliveira, which means he packs a bit more of a wallop in those hooks, but is a lot less likely to land them. Whenever he faces someone with more experience, Brenner can seem outmatched, which is bad considering Zubaira has 26 fights under his belt, and Elvis's last opponent only had four. I do think Tukugov basically has a massive advantage in every area. It's a huge matchup to have on your debut. Zubaira should have the speed, the wrestling, the technical striking advantage, and of course the experience. I can see it being a rare finish for the Russian, so I will take Zubaira Tukugov by TKO. Next up, and still at featherweight, Blake Builder takes on Shane Young. My man smoking Shane Young is back, and he's looking to restart his UFC career after a year's layoff. A city kickboxing standout, Shane Young has had some savage competition to do with so far in his two and three UFC career, not the least of which is debuting against Alex Volkanovsky, which must have sucked. Riding a two-fight losing streak, he needs to get a W here. He's a solid kickboxer with power in both hands and some serious grip when he bites down on the mouthpiece. Young has been in some wars already in the UFC, notably in his two wins against Austin Arnett and Rolando D. Shane's one of those strikers who has the capacity to be very technically sound if he wants, or he can just slide into a bar fight and throw haymakers all night long. He's built like a brick shithouse made out of brick shit houses at 145 as well and his wins have come about as a result of being relentless with his pressure on the feet and taking takedown opportunities as they come. Volume and pressure are his friend especially in this one and he needs to push the pace hard here. El Animal Blake Builder on the other hand makes his debut here after a contender series contract win back in August. Standing undefeated at 7-0 Builder might seem a bit inexperienced but with a 6-0 amateur career as well as enough gold in amateur boxing and kickboxing to make Michael Phelps blush and a four stripe brown belt in jiu-jitsu he has lived a combat sports life for a long time. Coming up through the Minnesota and California scenes, Bob the Builder got himself a cage fury gold before that Dana White contender series shot, which he cashed in by finishing TriStar's Alex Morgan in the first round with a rear naked choke. Star-wise, a lot of lateral movement from the American. He's always bouncing side to side and trying to land good counter shots with the lead hand. He seems to eat heavy jabs in every fight and he trusts in his footwork to defend rather than his head movement. So he is liable to get clipped on the feet, but he's a big unit at 145 too. So he carries power in his hands in those counter strikes. 
works. In a scramble, this dude is dangerous. He teleports to your back before it even hits the map, even if he's badly hurt. And once he's there, the submission threat is constant. Four submissions and seven wins for Builder. And I'm sure he'll be thinking about that one, testing Shane's grappling. Shane takes the odds here, but the long layoff will have some people doubting. I think he's probably going to land big and he's probably going to hurt Builder. But the question is, does he have the wherewithal to finish it without getting stuck in a scramble against the American? I will stick with the odds though, and I'm hella biased for New Zealanders. So you know I'm taking Shane Young by TKO. Next up, women's strawweight, we have Loma Lukbunmi taking on Elise Reed. Couple of better known girls here. Loma Lukbunmi got herself a new four fight contract with a win last time out with a respectable four and two record so far in the UFC. She's still looking to hit the top 15. Loma, of course, has been throwing knees and elbows since before she could tie her shoes. She started competing in Muay Thai against boys when she was seven years old. Having made the move from Team Tiger Muay Thai to Bang Tao with George Hickman, her strengths are obviously in her extremely experienced and well-rounded kickboxing game. At just five foot one and a former atom weight, she struggles with bigger and more powerful girls. And obviously, wrestlers and jiu-jitsu players will try to find holes in her grappling, but she is becoming more and more well-rounded every day. At least Reed, meanwhile, hit the big show in 2021, and she's gone two and two with two bad TKO losses on the ground. So she too is looking to hit the ground running in 2023 and might give Lukbunmi the stand-up bout she wants. Elise has been kicking fools in the face just as long as Loma, starting her martial arts career at six years old and sticking within the confines of kickboxing and taekwondo until her competitive drive got her into the MMA game back in 2013. Now six and two and pretty well established at strawweight, the army reservist needs to string some wins together to get into those rankings. She's got good lateral movement and kicks from that traditional background. She keeps her chin high up in the air and pumps left, right, left, right punches and flurries though. She's not super technical with her hands and defense is an issue. Being the much taller fighter with a much longer range, she will want to keep it at kicking distance, but I'm not sure Loma will acquiesce to that. She's going to want to get inside, land hard and grab a clinch. All in all, look, Boomy should have the tools here. As long as her defense is correct and she doesn't eat any of those long head kicks from Reed, the tie should have the power, the technical striking and the clinch advantage, and I can't see it going to the mat, so I'll take Loma look, Boomy by decision. Back at featherweight next, we have Jack Jenkins taking on Don Shanus. Jack Jenkins trains at an absolute MMA in Australia, which is a bit of a legendary gym if you're into jiu-jitsu, with Lachlan Giles and Craig Jones both coming out of that stable. But not content to just train a great grappling team, Jenkins has also taken a year out of his life to train in Thailand too, and you can tell by the way he fights. The Aussie came up through Hex and Eternal in Australia and is a total finishing machine. Only two of his 12 fights have gone to the judges. The man with the mullet and the mo has nice, patient straight punches out of both stances, great feints, and some hellish leg kicks, including a leg kick KO, which instantly makes him my boy. I've rarely seen a lad so calm in the cage as well, especially for such a relatively young career. He looks like he could be waiting for a bus in there. In the words of this rogue MMA commentator, this is where Jack wants to put you. He wants you to back you up on the fence and then slowly beat the living shit out of you. Couldn't have said it better myself. Currently, he's running a seven fight win streak into this one. I cannot wait to see what he can do in front of his home crowd. Don Shanus, meanwhile, has made his debut already against the extremely experienced Sadiq Yusuf as a plus 700 underdog. And of course, he got finished in the first round. So he gets another shot here against a fairer opponent. The Massachusetts native came up through Cage Titans in his home state, winning their featherweight title as well as a two-fight stint in Bellator with two wins early in his career. So he's more than experienced and at 12 and 4 with 10 finishes, he's just as dangerous a finisher as Jenkins. Shanus is a classic wrestler puncher with big hooks on the feet, good MMA wrestling with takedowns against the cage and clinch trips. And when he gets you down, his ground and pound is his specialty. Tons of finishes with relentless damage on the mat. He's not the most 
technical striker on the feet, definitely a brawler who lunges inside the range to attack with hooks. So Jenkins straight punches could cause him trouble, but he hits like a Mack truck as well. Jenkins says is a favorite here and it's a bit of a styles clash, but it should be fireworks too. I think Jenkins does have a technique advantage on the feet that he should look to take advantage of and put pressure on Sheamus without getting taken down. If he can do that, I think he's got a decent shot at the finish. So I would take Jack Jenkins by KO. Next up a lightweight, Jamie Malarkey takes on Francisco Prado. Jamie Malarkey is the perennial underdog in the UFC, but like a dog with a bone, he's not letting go. Three and three so far on the big show. And we've spoken about him before for his amazing toughness and persistence. Getting two straight finishes in the UFC after losing your first two bouts is a testament to that, as well as getting the W over Michael Johnson last time out. His first time back in his hometown since his debut, and after losing that one, he's going to be motivated to show out for his Aussie fans at home this time. Frankie Prado makes his debut here, though, as an undefeated 100% finishing rate savage. Fighting out of his native Argentina, the 11-0 Prado has basically traveled around South America, slapping fools around since 2019. At just 20 years old, he is one of the best prospects out of that region right now, and though his early record was a bit padded, his last few finishes against good contenders have proven he isn't just all hype. Prado's gone on record saying he will be the UFC's youngest champion ever, and to already be 11-0 making your debut on a pay-per-view prelim is an excellent start for him. Standing very tall and upright on the feet, he's got some powerful roundhouse kicks from his taekwondo background, vicious looping hooks and overhands, and a really diverse grappling game with tons of really varied submission wins on his record. He's got a Von Flew as well, so you know he knows what he's doing. This fight will be a hell of a culture shock for the young Prado. He's used to fighting in front of much smaller crowds in Argentina, so a 15,000 capacity RAC arena all cheering for his opponent will be a new and strange feeling. Malaki is the big favorite here as a much more experienced fighter with a chin made of mithril, but wow, this is actually a hard one to pick. It wouldn't surprise me to see the younger and more athletic Prado come out like a firecracker and just start landing pressure and damage on Malaki. But it also wouldn't surprise me if Jamie gets the takedown, plays the veteran, and wears on the cardio of the youngster. On balance though, I feel like the physical advantages for Prado are a pretty big deal. He's gonna come out guns blazing. So I might go with the underdog here. I say Prado could get it done, and he could get it done by finish. Next up, a flyweight Clayton Rodriguez takes on Shannon Ross. Clayton Rodriguez we spoke about for his UFC debut last year, where he battled it out to a split loss against CJ Vergara. The Team Noguera fighter is pretty green still in MMA, only nine fights into his career, and throughout his career in Brazil, you can see a mirror universe version of Yaya Rodriguez. He throws himself 100% into every strike. He tries crazy athletic spinning shit constantly. He's been way more muted in his Dana White contender series and UFC fights so far. I kind of want to see him unleash the madness again and give us some silly Eddie Gordo violence to watch this weekend. Playing the calm technical striking didn't work against CJ Vergara, and I feel like leaning into that athleticism and that power isn't necessarily a bad thing. In the other corner, Shannon Ross, the Turkish delight, makes his debut here after a horror show in his loss on the Contender Series. The Queenslander unknowingly walked into the cage with a burst appendix, septicemia, and blood poisoning, which is about as fucked as you can be walking into a fight without having recently lost a limb. Obviously, he lost that one, and he wound up in emergency surgery and hospital for a week. Those slight extenuating circumstances convinced the UFC that maybe they didn't see him in his best possible shape. So he gets another shot here in the big show. The former Eternal Champ built up a solid career in Australia, fighting anybody and everybody. The Aussie Scrapper has excellent wrestling and pressure in the cage clinch, and he should probably lean on that more, but he's a bit of a showman, and he just seems to like going toe-to-toe and putting on a brawl. Nice, powerful counterhooks on him, and defense, definitely not a strong point. But if he can fight and survive with his blood literally trying to kill him, I think it's safe to say he's tougher than a kangaroo scrotum. Clayton has the youth and striking technique on his side, with Shannon the much more experienced, less athletic veteran with a grinder's mentality. It's a fun matchup, and I don't agree with how wide the odds are here. I think Shannon has way more than a puncher's chance to get as 
grind on and wrestle this one down, especially because Clayton doesn't have the best cardio in the world. And if he does turn on that madness, he's going to run out of gas quick. It might not be the smartest bet in the world, but I can see it happening. So I'll take Shannon Ross by decision. Next up, a featherweight Joshua Kulabau takes on Melsic Bagdasari. Both these lads we have spoken about before, and both are extremely talented fighters at 145, flying well under the radar. Kulabau, the former Hex and Diamondback FC champion, relentless pressure kickboxing with Gaethje-esque leg kicks with a Pancration and Jiu-Jitsu background, giving him some lovely top pressure and ground and pound on the side. He's riding a two-fight win streak into this one. He's proving to be a pain in the ass for contenders at this weight class, and now he gets to fight in his native Straya for the first time in his UFC career. Bagdasarian, meanwhile, fights out of Coach Edmund's Glendale Fight Club, like apparently every Armenian in combat sports history. Coming off the contender series and now riding his own two-fight UFC win streak, Bagdasarian went 12-2 across pro boxing and kickboxing before transitioning to MMA. He fell early on to a submission, but since then he's gone 7-0 with tons of first-round knockouts, but he hasn't been able to find that finish quite so easily in the UFC yet. Obviously an incredibly talented and violent striker, Bagdasarian has fast hands and a terrifying left body kick out of that southpaw stance. This one's going to be high volume and high octane all the way from both guys. It's dead even and I think this is excellent matchmaking here. Despite most of his UFC run taking place on the feet, I think we could see Kulabau tempted to take a shot here. Just because of how dangerous Bagdasarian can be, but we could have a fun banger on the feet as well. I can very easily see Melsic landing a big KO, but Kulabau is way more well-rounded and has the grappling pedigree advantage, so gun to my head, I will say Joshua Kulabau by decision. And finishing off the prelims at 205, Tyson Pedro takes on Modestus Bukowskis. Since moving to New Zealand and CKB, Tyson Pedro has been crushing it. He's gone two straight with two big knockout finishes and he's looking like a whole new beast. He gets a late notice change of opponents here with Minyang Zhang dropping out to be replaced by Modestus Bukowskis, who's coming back into the UFC after a two-year stint in Cage Warriors. And we actually spoke about him as an unfamiliar in one of my first videos for the show. Now the two-time Cage Warriors champion, Bukowskis had a rough time in the UFC, getting one win before a three-loss streak, ending with a nasty sidekick to the knee knockout from Khalil Roundtree, which made me rethink my hobbies. Last time out in that Cage Warriors title fight, he crushed Chuck Campbell with a big right hook, and he's definitely proven he deserves another crack in the UFC. Coming in late notice against Tyson Pedro is a huge ask for the Lithuanian, though, and the odds reflect it too. Honestly, I reckon he's just going to be outgunned here, as simple as that. Pedro by knockout. Opening up the main card, Jimmy Crute takes on Alonzo Menafield. Jimmy Crute has had a rough go of it lately, with a leg injury loss followed by a devastating knockout loss to the current champion Jamal Hill. But after taking a year off, he comes back renewed in front of his Aussie faithful. Alonzo Menafield, in contrast, is on a two-fight winning KO streak, and he fought only three months ago. All I can tell you for free is this fight ain't going to the judges. And I would still be surprised if it exits the first round. Both lads have go-to-sleep power, Crute has excellent submissions as well, and the fact that he's still 26 years old boggles my mind. I think if he can avoid the power in the early going, Crute has more tools, and I'm interested to see if this time off has refreshed him. I'll take Jimmy Crute by submission. All right, time for some big boys now. Justin Taffer taking on Parker Porter. It's some big round boys doing big round boy things. And when I say big round boys, I mean big. Justin Taffer still, I believe, the only UFC fighter to ever miss weight at heavyweight. He can't do that twice in a row. And even though he won that night, it was a really bad look for him. Parker Porter has some solid boxing, but he just doesn't carry that same power or pressure that Taffer has on the feet. And sometimes with these guys at heavyweight with more limited skill sets, that's the only difference that matters. Who has that lights out punch? Tafa by knockout. Next up a welterweight. Amazing fight here. Randy Brown takes on Jack Della Maddalena. Two of the slickest boxers in the company. If Jack Della gets the W here, especially another finish, we need to start talking about rankings. That would make it four and four for him. Same for my boy Randy as well. He's riding his own four fight win streak into this one. Randy 
Brown is much slicker than anyone Jack has gone up against to date, especially defensively. He's got stunning head movement and footwork and a huge reach and height advantage here, as well as probably a more technical grappling game. But if he can't control the pressure of Jack, it won't do much to help him. This could be a total barn burner and I can see both lads getting rocked, but I honestly think Jack Della Maddalena's finishing instincts and power are unrivaled at welterweight. So as much as I love Randy Brown, I will take Jack Della Maddalena by TKO. Your co-main event of the evening for interim featherweight gold, Yair Rodriguez takes on Josh Emmett. You couldn't pick two more different fighters at 145 for this one. The tall, skinny, cartwheel-kicking style athlete versus the short, orcish, grindy wrestler-puncher. I could see this going the way of Edgar versus Yair if Emmett can get the takedown, but if it stays at that kicking range, he is in for a world of hurt. The reach and range advantage is substantial, and that's exactly where Yair wants him. It's going to be fun to watch no matter what happens, but I think with Yair's increasing ability to keep the fight on the feet and Emmett falling more and more in love with his hands, I think the likelihood of it being a kickboxing match is way higher, and we've seen Yair do some murders at range with those kicks. So I think I'm going to have to go Yair Rodriguez by decision. And your main event of the evening, Islam Makachev takes on Alex Volkanovsky for the lightweight belt. It's the highest quality fight in the world right now. Two very different fighters, two very different styles. Alex is going to want to kickbox. Islam should be hunting the takedown. Will the size make as big a difference as everyone thinks? Does Alex's submission escape ability translate when a Dagestani gets a grip on his neck? Who the hell knows, honestly? I think the odds being this wide are hugely disrespectful to Alex's skill set and the opponents he's beaten though and honestly he's definitely the more technical and well-rounded fighter than Islam Makhachev. I guess this weekend we get to see if it matters. Put gun to my head again I'll take Alex Volkanovsky to become the lightweight champion of the world and cement his status as the best fighter on the planet right now. But what do you guys think? I hope you enjoy the fights. Please hit me up on Twitter and in the comments below. I hope you have a lovely weekend and I'll see you next time.